Coming up, while attractions are benefiting from a booming economy, the high quit rate is still causing problems. Also, has Disney lost its magic? All that and more coming up on this episode of Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. In Green Tagged, we cover the top news from theme parks and tourism in the past week. And remember that for haunt-specific news, sign up for our free weekly newsletter at the link in our show notes. And now here's this week's Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. From our studios in Los Angeles and Tampa, this is Green Tag Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip, and I'm joined by my co-host, Scott Swenson of Scott Swenson Creative Development. Hello, Scott. Hey, Philip. How are you? Well, still here. It, it's it's <laughs> Halloween 2, uh, otherwise known as Christmas season for me. Ah, got it. Yeah, to, and to me, it's, it's, uh, it's New Year's and Valentine's preview. So, uh, <laughs> so I, I, I totally get you. I totally get you. So, okay. I wanted to kind of start off the show with just some, some like macro trends and uh, kind of macro ideas to kind of realign, I think all of our thinking. So we kind of see overall what's going on. Uh, and first of all, the U S economy is doing pretty good. <laughs> the fed testified that although the rise in COVID cases due to the Delta variant had slowed recovery, the gross domestic product is still on track to grow about 5% in 2021, which is bananas. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to CNN's chief business correspondent, the last time we had that kind of growth was under the Reagan administration 40 years ago. <laughs> and Unemployment is also down, with more than 5.5 million new jobs created in 10 months. Unemployment claims are the lowest they have been since 1969. Of course, recovery is not even, though, with jobs hard to find for black and brown Americans and for white Americans. And the other element, which we talked a little bit about at a time, but that all seems great. That all is great. It is great. But for our industry in particular, even though the unemployment rate is low, the quit rate is pretty high, which for the average person is generally a good thing because the quit rate being high means that people have options that they're able to go look for other options. It means that you have more bargaining power as all that kind of stuff, but uh, it could be bad for our industry in particular. Right, Scott? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, it it reflects very positively for the individual. Um, But if you are trying to, oh, I don't know, keep a seasonal event staffed, which I've been trying to do uh, companies that I'm working with have been trying to do ever since, well, let's see, September. Um, uh, You know, it is a challenge because we have had a lot of, a lot of quit. um, And I hear through my, my cohorts and and other folks in the industry um, that they're all having the same challenges, keeping people because there are so many opportunities and because the mentality towards work has changed. When, uh, when everything shut down and people were either not working or working from home, Uh, they realized, you know what, I don't have to work quite as much as I thought I did, or I have a lot more options. I'm not going to just work one place, which is lovely for the individual. What it means, however, for for companies and organizations is you have to make it viable for your people to stick around. And that can be done either with money, although I think that still proves to be about number four or five in the reason why people leave, Um, Mm -hmm. making them feel valued, making them feel as though they are making a difference, making them feel heard. Um, I I think it's something that, uh, especially those of you in the attractions industry, need to really pay attention to. Because if if you're like what's happening in Florida, and it may not be the same across around the world, but if it's like the way it is in Florida, um, it is hard to get people to commit for three weeks, let alone three years. So, um, and of course, once 
when you when you have that quick turnover, when you have that high quit rate, then your uh, training costs go up, your um, onboarding costs go up, and your experience your experience level of your employees goes down because everybody's new. So it's one of those things that you know if you were super clever, maybe you find a way to work with other um, similar but non competing organizations in your area to perhaps co-opt or share groups of people, uh, whether it's officially or unofficially. I'm sure there's all kinds of insurance reasons why you can't do it officially. But uh, because, again, if you can keep people from quitting because they have uh, the opportunity to work at location A, location B, or location C, and they're all part-time or seasonal, um, you might that might be one way to help counteract the, the high turnover rate. Um, you know, I, I don't want to sound like I'm being Mr. Big Business here, but it's, I, I think, I think what I'm trying to say is this, this high quit rate is cool for the individual, but can pose some major, major problems for attractions who are trying to keep things staffed. Yeah. And I just want to point out, it's not just, it's not just, cause this is something that Philip mentioned earlier before we started the show. Um, it's not just, the food and beverage people or the operations people. Yeah. It is it is the higher paying jobs as well. It's it's the the uh, entertainers and the performers because again, since the floodgates have opened, since everything is opening back up, since there are more and more attempts at at keeping our economy going, uh, these people have a bunch of different options. So um, the smart ones, quite honestly, uh, especially again in a market like Florida. And I'm going to put Tampa and Orlando together, even though we're about an hour and 10 minutes apart. Um, if you if you take that, there's a bunch of different ways that performers can work multiple events. Um, yeah. In fact, the, the, the really smart performers have worked it out in their schedules so that they're working two or three Christmas events this season and making great bank. Um, the, mm -hmm. the not so smart ones are quitting one, bouncing to the other. Um, when they realize, oh, I could work here, and this sounds like more fun, and I, I reinforce, it has less to do with money than it does with having fun. So yeah. knowing that is something that I think each uh, each attractions owner out there should be aware of. Yeah, it's just it's so interesting, right? When you look at how everything is going well right now, kind of better than I think most people anticipated in terms of the macro economy, which of course we are seeing, which we've been talking about, we're seeing in demand that translates into demand, you know, for the parks and then the unemployment being low and the query being high that all then it kind of conspires to create a little bit of a perfect storm where you have demand, but you are having then these staffing issues, which we've been talking about, but I think understanding the wider reasoning behind it is, is good. And I also think that, it's difficult to come up with any one solution. It's almost like a larger problem in that we need to kind of rethink how work is going. Like we need to rethink the future of jobs at attractions and in a macro sense, because we, you know, we can't keep doing this. There are people that are saying that, you know, once the, um, once we kind of take interest rates, put them back up, it's going to kind of push the brake on things. And then we're going to kind of reach an equilibrium, hopefully in time for the recovery. But if, I'm not sure about that. You know, I, I'm not sure to your point, Scott, about if the mindset of people has changed, I'm not sure that, um, making it so that they have to, they have to have to work again to feed themselves will, will change. I don't know how much that's not going to make them happier, you know, at, at work. So I think it, 
overall, it's kind of uncovered an overall problem that probably has been building for multiple years in the interaction industry and that the overall nature of how we employ people needs to change. Well, and I think right now that happiness that you talk about, that happiness is <clears throat> being provided by, oh, here's something new. Oh, here's something yeah. new. You know, my supervisor pissed me off, so I'm going to, uh, I'll show them. I'll go to theme park, theme park next door. I'll, I'll leave, uh, I'll leave the whale and go to the mouse. And then when they piss you off, <laughs> I'll leave the mouse and I'll, I'll go to the movies. And then when they piss you off, then I'll start working with the independents. And then <clears throat> by that time, you've forgotten how much you got pissed off by the first one. So you know, you, you go back to that. It's, <clears throat> it's unusual, and I, and I think it's something. To your point, I think we always should have been focused on making our employees feel valued. Um, yeah. And I think it's more important now than ever. Yeah. And and more than just lip service to that, because I, right. I we, we hear that all the time, right? But it it, it does mean more than just saying that. <laughs> right. Right. And, but, and, uh, and it also goes back to and it also goes back to um, equity and diversity. You know, even this report yeah. says that uh, that people of color are having more challenges getting jobs. Um, so as as an industry let's take let's take the fact that it's the right thing to do off the table for a moment and just look at it from a business standpoint if you're having trouble staffing then you need to target a broader demographic and right. if if there are people out there um who are hispanic african american people of color um if there are people out there start targeting that demographic more in your marketing in your yeah. in your uh, your hr you know it just it's just good business it's yeah. just good business. And also, uh, we talked about this. It, this can't. This is not in the report um, because I don't think it can be. But also, hiring specifically for disabled Americans as well. Of course, you know? of course. If you, anytime you have quote unquote staffing issues, you as an organization need to find solutions to it. They're not going to magically yeah. come to you. Um, it's they're not all of a sudden going to start. Uh, the government isn't going to come up with. They may pay you money, but they're not going to be able to pay you people. That's called slavery, and that was abolished years ago. So that's not going to happen. Um, so, but so you have to you have to find ways to reach out to a broader demographic. And if that is people, you know, whether it's ethnic background, um, people with disabilities, people over a certain age that you wouldn't normally think about hiring for your organization, um, I will tell you, especially at Christmas time, older uh, older employees are small children gravitate to them like. Um, yeah like moths to a flame. It is, it is wonderful and it's exciting to see. And it makes, it makes people, um, people who have retired, it gives them a whole new sense of, of vigor and, and enthusiasm. They're also great workers. They show up every single night. They're scheduled. Yeah. That's my own experience. I, I, I've, I've, I've seen that happen in with three of my clients right now. Well, <laughs> our next section, supply chains. We talked previously about the, the concept of since supply chains were kind of slowing down, that uh, that would be kind of raise the cost potentially for attractions. But on the flip side, it, it potentially would allow for more guests to purchase those uh, experience things rather than stuff in stores. You know, if you're looking for Christmas gifts and the Christmas gift you're looking for, you can't find it, then you might be more willing to do something to give an experience to someone or that kind of thing may not work out that way. <laughs> in the past three weeks, the number of containers sitting on docks is down 33% and shipping prices are down 25%. Major retailers, Walmart, Target, and Home Depot all say they have plenty of inventory to hand out for the holiday season. So 
of course, we found a way <laughs> to get stuff in stores because this is America. Well, and and again, they're they're looking at they're looking at that those floodgates being lifted. These large these large brick and mortar, or actually just large retail chains, because all of these have strong strong online um, online presences as well. Yeah. Um, but they're looking at the, at the the floodgate being lifted, and they're they're basically saying we've got to get this stuff here or we're going to be in a world of hurt. Um, I, I think it's interesting. There is a major chain right now that is advertising, um, and I'm not going to mention which one it is, but is advertising new merchandise showing up, and, and the, the image is great because you see people take something off the shelf and then something magically pops and appears in its place. And they take, something, they take that thing off the shelf and a new thing pops and appears in its place. The whole mentality being... Um, we have stuff coming in because if you go yeah. to some of these big brick and mortar stores right now, at least where I am in Tampa, again, I'm not around the, the country or around the world, so I can't say this is true everywhere. But here in Tampa, if you go to some of these big brick and mortar stores, there's a lot of empty shelves. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's especially things that are more cost effective or more desirable. Um, they're gone. And so, of, of course, Walmart and Target and Home Depot are all going to say, you know, we've got plenty of inventory on hand for the holiday season. Um, I'm not, I, I personally am not seeing it in this part of the country yet, but yeah. if it's on its way, great. That just means that holiday shopping may be delayed. Um, and from a retail standpoint, it may be even higher. But I think the most important thing we learned from this is they've clearly discovered multiple ways to, to keep their supply chains flowing. And yeah. I think that's true for all of us, no matter how large or small your business is. You know, don't always rely on, we always get our widgets from company X um, and company X is in China. Well, if that's the case, you have no widgets. So yeah, that's the smart business. And I think it's still going to be, it's still going to lead to higher costs for attractions, unfortunately, because the supply is so specialized. You know, it's, the people that have the bargaining power are these folks, you know, to, to kind of, to get things on, to get things figured out. It's, it's not going to be your attractions manufacturer supplier who relies on a specialty part that only one person makes, you know, in the Hunan province. It's, it's not going to, not going to work out that way. I know from experience right, <laughs> to right. tell you, well, you know, and, and the flip side of that though, is it is also a good time to start setting up those uh, open negotiations and for and and larger buys with those do it now yeah yeah, yeah. do it now make those in make january those, it's going to cost you at least six percent more on exactly. everything you buy exactly yeah. reach out now and make those deals make those sign those contracts make those agreements so that you can get what you need when it becomes available and at a price that is not going to completely skew your your earnings although there are there are some well, some clients of mine who are, they don't, they don't, they don't care. They're making way too much money hand over fist right now in the holiday season. So, yeah. Well, okay. Now let's move on to the Omicron update. So the highly mutated variant of the coronavirus has reached more than 40 countries and has been detected in 12 U.S. states. According to scientists in South Africa, it appears to spread faster than any other variant. Thanks to a combination of contagiousness and ability to dodge the body's immune effects but the contribution of each factor is yet uncertain. Here in the U.S., of course, uh, the Biden administration released their plan this week, 
and it's focusing on keeping the economy, workplaces, and schools open. The plan includes hundreds of vaccination sites aimed at families and a campaign to push booster shots for all adults. There are also new changes that may be especially important for Americans as they begin to travel and gather testing requirements for national travelers and insurance reimbursements for at-home coronavirus tests. So there, there is a lot here. We, I don't want to go too much into it, but I think the, the, the big overarching theme here is the focus on keeping the economies open, which is, of course, good for attractions. And what we've been talking about this entire time is, is keeping this stuff running. Uh, and also that the changes to the international travel requirements, because as, as listeners will recall, that was a big push. The industry was pushing for international travelers to be allowed back in because they make up segments, big segments of, of the big boys for, for, for their, uh, their audiences. And the requirements were changed. There's no mandatory quarantining or any of that. The, all it is, is it's a negative COVID test 24 hours before they depart. So they used to be 72 hours and they shortened it down to 24. So it adds another layer of pre-flight stress, yes, of course, but the antigen tests are normally available within a few hours and they're available at all locations. So I think it's a pretty good compromise. So what do you think, Scott? Well, I, I you know, I think that it, if you, well, I think the most important thing to recognize is if you look around the world right now, there are about 15 different ways that things are being handled. And oh, yes. <laughs> so, um, and, and clearly none of them are 100% right or 100% wrong. Um, like everything we've talked about so far in this show, it is a complex issue and you can't follow just one thread or one chain to find the one magic bullet that's going to make everything okay. Um, so that said, I think that culturally here in the United States, the way it is being handled is perhaps the best way it will be enacted. You know, I mean, it's one of those things where if, if all of a sudden everything were to shut down again, people in the United States would get angry and divisive and um, would yeah. immediately start, you know, speaking with their votes or, uh, you know, rioting as we've seen in the, in recent years again. Um, and I don't think anybody needs that right now. And I don't think it's the best way to pursue anything. So I think that these compromises, if you want to call them that, I think this approach, um, however you want to frame it, I think this approach is strong. I think it is intelligent. Um, and and I know that there are going to be longtime listeners who are like, wait, Scott, who has inhabited your body all of a sudden? Because you mm -hmm. used to be very, very much uh, supportive of, of keeping things super safe and super closed. Well, but we've learned since then. And I yeah. think that and we have... And we have vaccines. We have vaccines and, and we have more data. And we have, you know... Um, and even with the, the, the new virus... Uh, even with a new strain, we we still have vaccines. We still have more data. We still we better understand what we're doing, and yeah. so I think we need to make certain that we continue to keep our eyes open, continue to pay attention, um, and adapt accordingly. And it sounds as though this plan is kind of following that mindset. It's not yeah. a new jerk. Let's close everything. It's not a knee jerk. Let's make it impossible for people out of the country to visit. Um, yeah. You know, the, the the one thing I want to see sooner rather than later is, you know, when when people do test, does that actually include um, the the new strain, uh, the the new variant? Um, I don't know that, so it probably does. I just don't know it. Yeah. Um, 
I, I it's yeah, just, I, I, yeah. You know, I, 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 cause I'm like, I'm doing, I'm doing a little bit of, I'm doing, I'm doing a little cruise travel in January. And, um, I know that I have to have, and I'm fully vaccinated. And by that time I will have a full booster. I do not have my booster yet simply because I've been working too much, quite honestly, but, um, I will have my booster before then. And I still have to have, uh, 48 hours out a, uh, now 24, a negative test. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, is it an extra, is it an extra hassle? Yes. Is it better than shutting down the cruise? Yes. Correct. Yes. I, I'm pretty much in agreement with you and, and in this strategy. And also, I don't know, I <laughs> I also feel like maybe I'm biased because, you know, I have been going out and reporting things and you've been working. We're pretty biased, right? We've been working mm-hmm. and going to events and doing things. So we're very different from the person who is still um, being cautious and still avoiding live groups of people and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we've seen each other at mixers mm-hmm. where, <laughs> where there's been so... You know, we we we're, we're kind of out there, and but I I, I do I kind of agree. I, I don't I don't really don't see a way of kind of like turning the ship back around to, to closure. Uh, I just don't think it, it would work, especially not with um, how the mandates are being treated differently in in different areas. And you know, I, I think it's it's very smart to try and increase testing. We've said that since the beginning that a lot mm-hmm. of other countries focus on testing and we really never did. So it's like if you could increase testing so people are more aware if they are infected and then if you can get access to boosters to people and we don't know how effective the boosters are for Omicron, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but it's not zero. <laughs> the answer is it doesn't, like it provides more than 0% protection Correct. with very little downside, which means that push the push it, push the boosters. Mm-hmm. And I think that following along with this attractions should be embracing this type of plan you know not not complaining about the extra window for blah 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 no just like embrace this this plan i think it's will lead to us still being able to stay open and and capture this audiences which we we do need i know that some of the experiences are starting to get a little bit frayed because of, of what we talked about at the top of the show where increased demand and less staffing and people you know kind of difficult but that's better, much, much better than where we were previously with having to come up with whole new ways of in, like, no, that's still better. Well, yeah, I mean, we're, we're bringing people, we're bringing people back in person. We yes. don't have to do everything virtually. Um, you know, I, I have a, a, I was working, um, this past weekend, I was actually doing some work with, um, high school students and it was, uh, I was judging a thespian conference, a theater conference. And I was surprised as to how low the, uh, how low the quality was, to be completely honest. Mm. And I was talking to one of the teachers and they said, well, you have to take into consideration that the kids now who are in ninth grade um, are coming to school now with a seventh grade emotional uh, mentality. Yeah, because they haven't interacted with kids. They haven't interacted with other students. And especially when you're working in performance or theater, doing something via self-tape or via Zoom, you have either the ability to read your script, have a teleprompter, you can retake things if you're doing video. It's a whole different thing. So they have the emotional mentality of a seventh grader coming into ninth grade. And and I thought, and that was very eye-opening for me. But again, I think that how that applies here is we have to take into consideration that this, and I'm sounding like a broken record, the pandemic has changed the world again, just like 9-11, just like the AIDS epidemic. So we have to make certain that we adjust 
our world and don't try to force fit things back to where they were, but recognize, and I think that that's what's happening here. I think that's why we are having such uh, increases in in prosperity and success with the economy. Yeah. Because again, that's the unexpected door that has opened for us. We just have to find new and different ways to embrace it. And everybody would love a long straight hallway that gives us the the clear path to success, but it doesn't exist. And we have all changed as people. And whether we are stunted or accelerated, and, and that probably will vary in different areas, but we just have to embrace that and recognize we're moving forward, not trying to move backward. Well... We, as people, have changed, but our attractions and our experiences have also changed by necessity, of course. And our, our next story is a column that was written for the San Francisco Gate, and it is titled, Today's Disneyland is a Price Gouge, Not a Magical Experience. SF Gate columnist Rob Benson on how the accessible, inclusive Disneyland of his youth no longer exists. So, so this is uh, an interesting article, and... Um, I, I don't even know how I've I had so many emotions reading through this article. I don't even know kind of like where to begin. Like it, it's clearly by a person who is not a theme park person. And so a lot of the things he says are like, I'm shaking my head being like, come on, man, use Google. And then some of the line, it's poorly written in places. And some of the lines at the end, I just think are ridiculous. Like implying that, um, that, <laughs> Let's see where it implies that they're that they make enough money off of their films to make their theme parks free. And I'm like, that is some not accurate at all logic, mister. Um, like, that's not even how the business model works. The movies being in anyway. So all that aside. As I mentioned, you know, I've gone to Disneyland as well, like with my family, like twice once, like in the, the, the larger heat of the pandemic and then once recently. and you know, we had, you know, like I said, mixed experiences both times, but I will tell you, you know, the first time was pretty good. And then the more I read about his experience, the more I was like, well, also I'm definitely biased. I'm in my own like little world because it was good because I went with a friend and took my parents and we started planning like you're supposed to 60 days out where we booked the dining reservations. And I, we set alarms on our phones to check every few hours to get all the stuff booked in the app. So consequently, you know, it had a great experience and we were up like there on the grounds at five fifty nine, waiting for the queue to open up digitally. And then we were there with our alarms set at like the noon window to try and get into the virtual queue again. And we had the Wi-Fi access. We go into the, place in the park that had the best reception. Like we had all these things planned and figured out. But his point in the article overall is like, is everyone supposed to know that? <laughs> like who, who is the, like who, what kind of person is supposed to know all of these things? And, and also, you know, have the cell phone and have the Wi-Fi and have the time and like all this kind of stuff. And I think that point is valid. So, and I, I also, I guess reading through it, I was, first of all, I was like, God, don't you know anything? Just use Google. That was my emotion. And then I was like, are you kidding me? Like, do you know anything about business? And then I was like, can't you write sentences? And then, then later I was like, well, you know, that is a pretty bad experience. Or like, I also had that experience. And then eventually I was like, wow, this person's perspective is just like a regular guest perspective. And it's like so different from mine. I didn't even realize how far off from the normal I was until re Because, you know, this, my friends are all like, yeah, obviously you're checking 60 days ahead to get your reservations. What are you, stupid? Well, and the funny thing is, so this guy is not 
this guy, I agree with everything you've just said, Philip, especially the fact that this guy is not the fanboy of Disney or theme parks that you are. You are yeah. a fanboy. Admit it. Admitting it is the first, you know, first step to recovery. But um, you are you are truly a fanboy of theme park. So, so that said, yes, you know how to plan 60 days out. You know how to do everything that you just went through that is standard operating procedure now. That was the exact point of this article. Because yes. when yeah. Disney, when you first go to Disneyland as a child, you don't have to worry about any of that garbage. Yeah. You, you go in up and you have, and have a magical time. It yeah. is the happiest place on earth. And I had that as a child. I mean, I went to, so I went to Walt Disney World, actually, uh, the second year it was open as a child. And I thought it was, I thought it was, you know, heaven on earth. I thought it was the most magical, wonderful place because neither myself, yes, we had to wait in long lines. Yes. There were, you know, hour, hour and 20 minute queues. Get it. Okay. Um, but at the same time, it was worth the wait. It was a magical time to be with my family. And if my family had to make certain they were in exactly the right place at exactly the right time to plan for something that they weren't doing, <laughs> they're never in the moment. They're never in the moment. They're always planning for the next thing they need to do. And it takes away from the magic of the experience. And that's what I got from the article. Yes, yeah. I agree with you. It is not the best written article. I understand uh, his, his mentality of the park should be free was true when Disneyland opened, but that is no longer the case. Um, yeah. Disneyland obviously was originally opened as a promotional tool yeah. For, yeah. for the films. So, yeah. uh, but that is no longer the case. But I think the most important thing to recognize is his point is as a, as a baseline consumer, the magic decreases as the need to plan every second and make it and to in essence negatively in my opinion gamify your your disney experiences like oh i got to make sure that i get my my reservation in or i can't eat or i yeah. can't see anything or it's yeah. it's it's like being it's like being placed in a in a giant convention center where you don't speak the language and trying to survive and there and the rules keep changing and I realize yeah. they don't keep changing, but from his perspective, they've all changed. So yeah. I, I, I think that the tools that are trying to make the guest experience simpler, quote unquote, are making them very frustrating. And this person, by the way, did not seem like they were extremely, you know, we think about, well, you know, people my parents' age wouldn't know how to handle, well, well gosh, because no. you know what? I'm probably he's a younger guy. Yeah. He's, he's younger than I am, I'm sure. Yeah. And, um, and yes, I could do it, but I don't want to. Yeah. Which is part of the reason that I don't go as a regular guest. If I go to a theme park, I go with somebody who works there who handles all of that stuff or yeah. or or bypasses it, which makes like, for a more magical experience. <laughs> yeah. And we're we're at our time here, but I feel like this is really important. I he also mentions a lot of stuff about the racial disparity, you know, being that he used to see more black families and and he is black and that he was the only one that he saw and that he got into random fights with people in line who were kind of spouting out. So, I mean, all these kind of things, you know, and I'm like, well, I don't know, just disengage like, geez. Um, but like, <laughs> but all of this is true. You know, we, we've talked about it. We've talked about the, 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 the concept of the walled garden experience. All this is just making that worse. So it's like, do you have the 
money to go. And then besides the money, you have the time to plan it, which means that you have time away from work to do stuff like plan your vacations, which a lot of people don't. So you have the time, you have the time, you have to have the money. And then, you know, by the time you do all that, who is the experience made for? It's made for a certain demographic. So there's all these walls set up to this. Mm -hmm. And I think my final revelation on this was we, me at least, I read that and I'm like, that's bad. You know, it should be more inclusive. And we've been saying this this whole time, blah, blah, blah. But is it? Disney is not a public park. It's not a museum. Their mission is not to make everything accessible to the world. They're a corporation and their mission is, I guess it's to make money. I don't really know what their mission is at this point, but like to make money, essentially that's what a company is, right? To give to their stockholders. So like if, if this model is working, we like we are applying our moral judgment on the situation by saying that you're creating an, inexclu a, an exclusive experience that's not even that good of an experience for a small subset of people, which is not inclusive. But that's a moral judgment. So who cares? People do that all the time. And they're not a public institution. They don't have to create. They're not a public library here. You know, so like what what is wrong with what they're doing? I think that was like my final revelation. Like I was like in agreement. And I was like, this is and then at the end, I was like, maybe I'm just not their target anymore. Like maybe Disney has moved on from me. They've broken up with me and I'm still crying about the breakup. And it's like, no, they're not for me anymore. If you're going back to experience the magic and the family togetherness that you once experienced, Disney may not be the place for you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Not the place for me. And that's not, that's not a bad thing. Like no. that, that is... We're, like we're making it, I feel like we make it seem like it's bad, but that as a moral judgment on something that is incorrect. Like if it works for them and it clearly it does, they're making buttloads of money and it, and people, and generally people are happy or they, you know, like great, good on them. They, they have figured out a good business model. We need to stop kind of making, shaming them for something right. which is not even right. their job. I, I agree. And, and I think that, but I, I do think that it's important that people recognize <clears throat> things are changing. And yeah. to, to, cause I think the best consumer is an educated consumer. And yeah. if you don't want to be planning every single moment of your day, every single moment of your day, um, the, the new Disneyland experience may not be for you. That's the, yeah. the important thing to know. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, we went way over. We went way over. That, that, that's okay. It, cause it, it's something I, I felt myself exactly, you know, and it's even something I feel now where looking at planning, going to, uh, Scott Scott's land next week <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, is, um, you know, I, I have to make that calculation now, which is like, I know that if I attempt to do anything that is Disney, I have to dedicate a significant chunk to making sure it's planned out and probably won't get anything just like right now where I have a friend that has a two day ticket and he's only able to use one day. And I have been checking almost every three hours to get him a reservation for that second one day ticket. And I'm like, that's so stressful when ultimately I could literally just show up at Universal or show up at Knott's. And yeah, the lines might be super long or, you know, whatever, X, Y, Z, but like, that's life. Sometimes you go to the mall and there's a line. Like I tried to get into Din Tai Fung at the mall. It was a three hour walk up line. And I was like, no, thank you. Go to the other place down the down the road and got seated. That's how life works. I don't know. Yeah, again, it's just be aware of, and I think going back to this article, I think that was his real point, is you've yep. got to understand that if you want to be surrounded by, to your point later, if you want to be surrounded by a bunch of white people at, who are all on their phones trying to catch that next window, then Disneyland will be a fine place for you. And for some people, that's completely fine. 
but it lost the magic for him that he had when he first experienced it as a child. So, wow, did we go way over? Sorry about that, guys, but it was an important topic. Um, so thank you guys once again for listening and watching Green Tag Theme Park in 30 um, or 35, this particular episode. Um, my name is Scott Swenson, and I'm here with my co-host, Philip Hernandez from Gantam Lighting and the Haunted Attraction Network. Thank you for listening. Please share this, uh, this podcast or these videos with anyone and everyone that you think would find them interesting. Until next week, we'll see you. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.